listening to the Sacred Ordinary Days podcast. I'm Jen Giles Kemper, and you can find me at sacredordinarydays.com. I'm Lacey Clark Elman of asacredjourney.net. For season one, we're journeying together through the liturgical year. So grab a cup of tea or coffee and join us at the table. Hey, Jen. Hey, Lacey. I'm excited about the retreat. It's coming up. Oh, I know. I think that's last time we talked off off of the air was about the retreat. We were doing some planning for our first Sacred Ordinary Days retreat, which is going to be over Memorial Day weekend in your hometown of Waco, Texas. It is. I'm really excited about you coming, and um, we've got quite a few registrations already in as well. So I'm beginning to get the picture of what our group is going to be like, and mm-hmm. it's going to be really lovely. We've got men and women from... 20s through 60s so far, although I've had several folks in their 70s say they might come, so Any, who knows how anyone many. and everyone. <laughs> yeah, we could have quite yeah. a few reg- um, generations mm-hmm. represented, which I think will be, which will be great. Yeah, definitely. We've got a few more specific details on the actual location and the lodging options, um, and those are going to be emailed out the first week of March to everybody that's registered at that point. You can learn more details in both of our newsletters, which you can sign up for um, at sacredordinarydays.com and a sacredjourney.net for Lacey's. And then beyond that, if you have questions that you don't feel like uh, you can find an answer to, Facebook group is a bl- great place to check. Facebook.com slash groups slash Sacred Ordinary Days Tribe, or of course, send an email to hello at sacredordinarydays.com. But what's Lent and Ash Wednesday and fasting been like for you so far, Lacey? Yeah, it, um, I mean, what are we now? Two weeks in, I guess. Yeah. It feels a lot shorter and a lot longer, I think, particularly because of the, fa- <laughs> the fasting bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, I had a really meaningful Ash Wednesday service at our church, and I'm actually part of the um, what we call liturgy guild at our church too, which is okay. a group that helps plan the liturgy, um, helps plan the worship service, particularly around the current season. So I definitely feel very immersed in the season of Lent, both through our conversations, my own practice, and in that part of my life as well. The fasting where um, both Kyle and I like to do our fasting together and um, fasting from TV, which, you know, you think, you think it'll, you always think it'll be easier than it is. And um, <laughs> Kyle, Kyle's actually going to be gone this weekend. And so I'll be home alone. And so I think I'll especially feel, feel the absence of it, of it then. So yeah. it's, it's, um, it's doing what it should, the fasting, it's creating space. And it's also, um, teaching me about living in the tension and those moments where I do at the end of the day just want to um, veg out and shows me what, I, what I'm searching for deeper what down. What have you been doing and said? What I, well, luckily right now we've got plenty of other things to do, lots of projects going on. But also I've been spending a lot of time reading, um, and that's just one of the activities. But really what it is is slowing down and um, – just creates a lot more space in my evening spaciousness, and that though even though it might be reading a novel, just the sense of spaciousness is um, something that definitely 
helps me reconnect with God and um, mm. with just that pace in which I can experience God's presence and also um, just settle in, um, feel rooted yeah, with, with my true self. And so, so, yeah, experiencing all of the different parts that come with mm-hmm. Lent and fasting and certainly um, the, the desert places too, not just with the fasting, but with this season. Um, in my life and and in the church, and so I feel like my ears are peaked to um, to those desert places during this time. What about you? It's been tough. It's been really tough. Um, so this is the first week that Grant and I have been working together, and so we're figuring out our new pace and rhythm. And as I said in the last episode, my gut was that um, making this transition in a season of particular prayer and fasting seemed appropriate and right. And at the same time, I think it makes it harder. Um, yeah, it's just it, it's good and hard and we're learning. But we still have not really found our rhythm with our Um, daily shared prayer together. Mm. And I'm really looking forward to really feeling like, you know, we've, we've found our way with that. And as I said, I'm hoping that that's a practice that that continues well beyond, but I'm, I'm particularly mindful that we haven't found our way. Um, Mm. And I have really been missing hot tea Mm -hmm. so, so, so much. Um, I've tried just abstaining from hot beverages altogether because other than hot chocolate, there's not really anything else hot I want to drink. And I've, I, I don't know, I've, I've tried a couple different approaches, but I think where I've landed is I'm just drinking a ton of cups of hot water <laughs> throughout the day. <laughs> but it's interesting. It's, it's really helped me notice what it is about tea that I love. Mm. And of course, it's the flavor and the experience, the ritual of boiling the water and waiting and steeping mm-hmm. and, and then enjoying it. Um, but I don't know. I, I feel like it's helping me notice the other areas of my life for sure that what I want is the essence of something and not mm-hmm. the actual thing necessarily. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's giving me a lot to explore and begin playing with. Mm-hmm. And we're just, just two weeks in. We're just two weeks in. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows where it'll go mm-hmm. from here? So if you're just joining us, uh, we actually talked about Lent in fuller detail and gave lots of description in our last episode, the episode with um, Ash Wednesday, kind of at the heart of it. And so this time, you know, there are three main practices that are associated with Lent. Fasting, prayer, and almsgiving. And so the last episode, we explored fasting. And this episode, we're going to be exploring prayer. And then in the next episode, we'll be exploring almsgiving. And the conversations that Lacey and I have had thus far around prayer have me really excited to share this conversation with you, as well as really continuing these conversations in the Facebook group and in the retreat. It's been interesting to see between Lacey and I what similarities we have and also the different experiences that we have and and the different tools we have in our toolkits. So Lacey, for you, 
What was your experience of prayer growing up or how were you taught to think about prayer? Yeah, well, I think um, we should say up front that you and I had a pretty similar experience, at least um, in background. And I have a feeling a lot of our listeners probably did as well. I grew up um, learning prayers at preschool and church and, uh, you know, God is great, God is good, or now I lay me down to sleep, things that you would say at meals, um, before bedtime, and um, if you, now being on the adult end of things, um, it's always good for a few silent giggles to <laughs> to enjoy um, enjoy what children say. I was um, at church, in fact, the other day, and there was, a, I think he's three years old, and his mom asked what he wanted to thank God for, and it was his fire truck, and so. That's awesome. Yeah, so it was definitely... Um, just as it was for that child, a part of his life growing up, it was it was a natural part of my life as well. What about you, Jen? Yeah, I had we we did a lot of praying at meal times with family and at bedtime, and and yet I don't really remember a lot of rehearsed prayers. I don't remember saying the same thing before oh, meals or the same mm-hmm. thing before bed. And you're ad lib um, all the way. Well, or. Yeah, I think I think that must have been right. My dad um, is a minister of education, or you know, in a different tradition, he'd be like the minister of spiritual formation. Mm-hmm. And so, this Christian ed piece or spiritual formation piece mattered, you know, to them a great deal. And at the same time, you know, that's just that wasn't their personality, and it wasn't our personalities growing up that we were hungry for that. We were comfortable, kind of. Um, yeah, being being a little bit looser with it. And yeah, so I didn't learn a lot of specific prayers other than um, I learned the sinner's prayer. Oh, well, of And course. a little bit earlier, and mm-hmm. I learned the Lord's prayer, but those are really the only mm-hmm. two that yeah. I learned and I was taught specific words yeah. to. Yeah, I learned the Lord's prayer for Bible drill. It was oh. one of the one of the passages, the selected passages. So, but we never said it at church actually, at oh, all. Really? And so the only reason I knew it was because it was I memorized the scripture that it was hmm. it was mentioned in. So it's it's like we kind of had a little flip flop maybe. I, yeah. So I started with some learned prayers and then, and they were just for children, I guess. And then you you had a few others. Though the though of course the sinner's prayer was was necessary in the evangelical world for sure. Yeah. Well, and I learned the Lord's Prayer because we said it at the Lord's Supper, oh. which, of course, is the non-communion way of saying communion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. What about youth group? I feel like that was where a big transition was for me, at least um, in the in the emphasis of my own... Oh, I wouldn't have called it spiritual practice then, at least, but your own... Personal relationship with God is probably how we we worded it. Yeah, I think as a teenager, I got a lot of examples of what communal prayer could look like other than what it looked like in our main worship services or when you have a lot of people around, you know, a table for for a meal. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And that was pretty significant. But the examples that I had for praying communally were, um, you know, sometimes you have a particularly vulnerable moment or culture growing and and people start sharing prayer requests and 
those made me a little bit nervous. Hmm. I I often noticed that, or it seemed like often people were sharing things that were much more personal than your experience with them otherwise. And it made it tough to know how to move forward with those prayer requests. You know, are you supposed to ask them and follow up or are you just praying for them privately, but then you never talk to them about it? Mm. I don't know. How did you guys do prayers and and youth group? Well, we had, I guess, even starting even before youth group, we would always do um, a time of prayer requests that people, you know, Mm -hmm. would write on the board. And I look back kind of fondly remembering even the, the unspokens, <laughs> right? You know, all, yeah. the, all the code. <laughs> it was interesting too. I, you know, sometimes I look back because more often than not, I'm participating um, in silent prayer or in um, prayers that are recited these days. And so, in in an instance where it is kind of just a spontaneous prayer. Um, I forget how it kind of impressive it is that that was built within us from a young age to, mm. to you know, open with the dear God or Heavenly Father or however you you were taught or you came to do, and um, and just go into into this prayer experience. Um, but yeah, we would so we would take turns praying for for the quests or the unspokens and um even did I remember, you kind of do a popcorn prayer situation oh, sometimes well some sometimes it was wild you know <laughs> someone's gonna open you're gonna close you say something or other times it was like in a circle holding hands and if you wanted to pass you just like squeeze squeeze the hand uh-huh, <laughs> i remember yep of the person next to you um so that that was really a lot of my experience though in high school was um what in in that world you typically think of when you think of prayer, and it involves requests, it involves praise, many of the things that even um, you kind of see modeled in in the Lord's Prayer, though we weren't using that as as a direct absolute model. And uh, we had those events. See you at the pole. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, so yeah, I'd say that it was. Definitely a big part of my life then, but it was pretty much only in one one form, hmm. which was yeah. just spoken, well, you know, or silently within yourself. But it's always involved words, a beginning, an end, and and words, words in between. In high school, I started praying through journaling, mm. and again, also words, right? Yeah, but um, you know, I'd often write directly to God, and so those years of journaling were so mostly, like dear God rather than dear die, sort of right. Uh-huh. Um, and they were they were yeah, just mostly prayers. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I actually wrote dear God, <laughs> but <laughs> um, and that that really helped helped me explore what the point of prayer was. Mm. Because I think in some situations when people are asking for prayer requests, it it can be hard knowing what to do with people's prayer requests because on the one hand, people are are wanting God to answer their prayer. And we know that one of the ways that God answers prayers is through us, through each other. And another way that God answers prayers is... Um, Gosh, I mean, there's just so many ways. And having people speak 
prayer requests often left me with a feeling that, okay, I want to, I want to do something more than just meet the immediate need that they're praying for, if that's even possible. Mm -hmm. Um, and I thought, you know, I want to be the sort of person that perceives needs, even for the people who don't speak them. Mm. You know, I'm a, I'm a fairly verbal person. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> we have a podcast. And so it never stressed me out or bothered me to either make a prayer request public or to pray out loud for other people. But, you know, different friends that I had growing up and now my husband, he's almost never one to offer a prayer request out loud in a group situation. Mm. Um, that I mean, that's just not... That's just not his personality. And so as I I began to notice that more in high school, I thought, gosh, how can I be a person that would be attentive to and noticing the things that people aren't saying? Mm. And that's when I started doing um, prayer walks. Oh. I I would just walk through my neighborhood or other neighborhoods, and I kind of started out by saying, like, okay, God, help me notice – what you might have me pray for and how you might have me respond. Mm -hmm. And so I started with this noticing, uh, posture of noticing, and then, you know, I would pray specifically for a house. They had a for sale sign in the yard, and I'd pray for the person selling the house Mm. and their move to be peaceful and them to make friends wherever they were headed toward for the family to be on the same page about when and how that was going to happen. I'd pray for the people who would buy it, that they would make friends and, um, you know, that they, I don't know, other houses I'd noticed that there was a lot of damage or repairs that needed to be made. And I'd pray that they would either have family or friends or a church that would help them make those repairs if they needed help. Mm -hmm. I'd pray for money or people to to give them money to be able to afford the repair, the repairs. And um, those really helped cultivate a spirit of noticing yeah. in me and attentiveness that has served me well for a long time. And when I have a season of dryness and in my prayers, we'll even return to that very specific practice. Hmm. Um, what about you? Did you do anything like that? I think that... Looking back, especially now that I think you and I both identify in our current practice more on the contemplative side, it's Mm -hmm. interesting to look back on those high school years or even into the college years and begin to wonder where it might have um, shown signs of a a desire for something something beneath the words or beyond the Mm -hmm. words, Um, or even just when there are words, something that involves that noticing practice, that attention attentiveness to the uh the present moment like the the walking practice that you you shared um did and I feel like for me music was a big thing mm-hmm. it was um looking back I would call it prayer now though I don't I wouldn't have thought of it then because it was distinct you know oh interesting but yeah. um just being and and really there's an example of us being moved by the words of others, even though we weren't using that in um, in our specific prayer settings. And I feel like also I have this memory of setting up even an altar space in my room once. 
And it wasn't, you know, that was not, we had an altar at church, which was just where, as you said, the Lord's Supper was served from, mm-hmm. you know, every, every few months or something like that. Um, but there was something in my, in my yearning, in my desire that um, wanted to perhaps even make prayer, make my prayer and my longing visual. And so oh. it involved some candles. Um, I'm not sure what else it was, but I... I remember it feeling very almost secretive, quiet, sacred in in that way. And I think that also became, um, that, that was my first sacred space, so to speak. Hmm. And I think that also whenever I've spoken about my um, time in Uganda and where kind of my tradition of a morning ritual uh, began, and that, too, was a place, a sacred space that I would set up each morning and involved, um, you know, involved reading the Bible, involved um, reading other works of inspiration and involved prayer with words. But it also was the first place that involved um, just a lingering hmm. um, of, and a time to notice both surroundings, as you um, described, and also my internal surroundings or movement so to speak um I had set I didn't set you know a a literal timer or anything but I wanted to spend time in prayer uh, a certain amount of time and that was the first time that I began to settle into um prayer the umbrella of prayer I suppose without having to it to be filled with words at all the time all the time or even with the you know, oftentimes if we didn't have words, we would hope that God would be speaking to us, you know, filling those blank spaces with God's words or something like that. But instead, uh, that's when I think a slow abiding in God's presence um, really solidified itself as a practice for me. I I always certainly felt, um, and and this was kind of I suppose a private thing as well because we weren't talking about it much in in my youth group. I always, you know, whenever Paul said pray without ceasing, I certainly always felt um, that resonated with me because it definitely seemed like that was something that was always present. You know, maybe not these formal big word prayers, but just an abiding with God in um, my longings, desires, doubts, fears. And so, yeah, there's a slow, a slow emergence of this more contemplative side, I think, until I finally, um, even in graduate school, a lot more recently had the words and the tools to, to really bring that to life. Yeah. I, I learned in Sunday school, to think of prayers as um, kind of five main different prayers, praise, mm. thanksgiving, mm-hmm. intercession, petition, and confession. And having that language has carried me through a long way and has reminded me in seasons where I feel like all I have are praises that there's more. Mm-hmm. Or when I feel like all I have are intercessions for the people around me, for the world, um, and even when I feel like all I have to bring are confessions, it it's a good reminder to me that you need all of it. Yeah. And and that if parts of it are missing, it's missing, you mm-hmm. know. <laughs> and um, 
that's why I really like, uh, we do often the prayers of the people in my church, um, taken from the, the Book of Common Prayer. And it, for those who aren't familiar with it, it's, they would say, you know, prayers for the church, the greater church, capital C, prayers for the world, prayers for the nation, your local community, for those who suffer. And so that, in a way, too, invites me to broaden my prayers but I think I think it has the same roots, yes, which definitely. has been helpful for me. Mm-hmm. And we do the same thing in our church. And one of the things that I've really appreciated the last, especially couple of months, as uh, different churches have invited me to come be a part of different services or groups that they have, and even speak. I have loved just sitting and listening. Um, I'm always surprised. They're like, "Oh, do you want to stay for lunch, or do you want to stay for the whole service?" I'm like. Duh, of course. Like, I just, I want to sit and soak it up and get to know people. But um, that has been one of my favorite things to noticing how different churches do that particular part of Mm -hmm. the service Um, prayers for others, prayers for the world. Um, And the way that our Episcopal church did that in Tulsa, um, you know, they would list specific events or specific Mm -hmm. names of members of the congregation. Um, we don't do that at our church in Waco, but um, we have a Wednesday night contemplative prayer service. And, you know, I grew up going to prayer services on Wednesday night, started with a meal, and then you have a prayer service. I don't remember actually praying at a single prayer service growing <laughs> up ever. Um, and so when I, you know, first found my church here, I'm like, okay, Wednesday night prayer service, everybody has that. Um, and I'm like, wait, it's only 30 minutes and it's in the chapel and there's no food. What is happening in there? <laughs> and so, yeah, as I was as beginning to learn what that was, I thought, okay, I'll check it out. And that particular contemplative prayer service is, is the place that I feel like I got the language for a lot of these other things. Um, and as we began to share our prayers for the world, our prayers for our neighbors, our prayers for our church, for the church universal. It was really moving to me to hear the specific words from people's mouths um, as they prayed from their perspective and experience, you know, what the most pressing needs were for any of those mm-hmm. at a given time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the depth of relationship that formed from the people, you know, because as is often the case, you find that it's the same core group every week and then a couple of people in and out here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people that I shared those weekly prayers with, it, you know, they're my people. Yeah. <laughs> Even though um, I'm not there every Wednesday mm-hmm. anymore. Now I'm one of the ones that comes in and out. But um, Well, and I think that speaks to what prayer is at its core, which... I mean, I think everyone has different experiences of prayer and opinions or ideas of what prayer is or should be. But I think ultimately, at its root, it's it's a place to express vulnerability before God, whether that's coming before God in silence, which can often be the most vulnerable time, or coming to God with those praises, petitions, thanksgivings that you mentioned, um, and especially speaking them in a moment of vulnerability in front, in front of others, mm-hmm. as you were saying with your, with your prayer service, I feel like it's almost in that, in that speaking of them in that release and that naming that the healing work begins, um, that the response begins and it, you know, it's not necessarily 
a transaction as I thought or hoped growing up. Absolutely. Instead, it's a deeper <laughs> transformation um, in ways, in mysterious ways, of course, with a mysterious God. I think that would be true of my theology and understanding of prayer as well, that it that it went from something that felt more transactional to something that was really um, transformative, which I, th- mm-hmm. I think is why, um, you know, in college, as I learned about the distinction between cataphatic prayers and apophatic prayers, that it gave, again, gave me language and gave mm-hmm. me tools um, for understanding what had felt to be true for a long time, which was that there was more than the words. There were certainly more than the words that I knew to offer, um, which is why I have been so grateful for a number of prayer books along the way, the Book of Common Prayer, as well as Common Prayer, Liturgy for Ordinary Radicals, have been my two Mm. most abiding companions um, in terms of prayer books. And both of those have have been holes, um, mm-hmm. ha- have filled holes rather that <laughs> I had, um, and have given me words when I didn't have them, but needed them. And I think similarly understanding, you know, cataphatic prayers revolving around the presence of some sort of mental content, words, imagery. Um, I didn't, I didn't know that until recently. I certainly mm-hmm. didn't know there was anything else. Um, and, and as I began to learn about apophatic prayers, where is, there is the absence of words or images, where there is space, where there is abiding, mm-hmm. um, where there is room for imagination and wondering, but again, um, just something entirely new, um, that, that's been helpful. Yeah, and, definitely. And resonates with my interest in the more contemplative um, mm-hmm. these days. What about, what about you? Do you, do you feel like uh, engaging with an apophatic approach to prayer has been helpful for you or is mm-hmm. that even a part of your vocabulary? Yeah. Well, I think it has not only been helpful, but really, really spacious for me and has invited me to expand my um, my thoughts on prayer, my experiences of prayer, and um, really also learn more of myself as well, the root mm-hmm. of my longing, my desire, and where that intersects with, with God. I think I had an experience a couple of years ago, I think maybe a year and a half ago when we were looking for houses and I wrote about it on my blog and um, I had been thinking a lot about prayer during that time, but um, we we saw that the housing market here in Seattle is ridiculous and we saw a house um, on a Sunday afternoon and, like, and put on an offer like an hour later and felt it felt like it was the house and I, it was meeting all of my needs, all of my desires and it kind of, it brought back um, you know, you kind of realize when you want some others to to pray for you. You know, you want to get as as many people on board as possible. To, yeah. You know, brought back that old that old um, feeling again of the more more the merrier, more in numbers. And um, I was praying with such earnestness that we that we get this house. My desire was so 
so great that in a way it all felt like it could be providential Hmm. and um, and we didn't get it and so it challenged um, challenged what I was thinking about prayer and if I was thinking of prayer as bringing my desires to God and um, prayer as a time of communion um, co-meaning to be together with um, and God being with me in my desire Hmm. what happens then whenever I don't get it so that there was a different way a shift you know God being with me in my desire and thinking that means God you know that my desire will come to fruition versus God being with me in my desire and God being with me in my grief when I didn't get it, which is so much harder to be authentic with your feelings and, um, and without, without a hope or dependency on resolution. And so that really has shifted a lot about the way I see prayer and the value I find in prayer is more of a communion with God, and it's in the naming of my praises and um, petitions, in the surrendering of of all that comes with that defenses, ego, control, that um, I found communion to really take place in the situations of everyday life are still there, um, but there's a deeper connection with God, I think. In the abiding. I agree. And I, I think that is where, that's why we practice. Mm-hmm. That's why, that's why we pray. That's why we practice. That's why we allow ourselves to be formed by the prayers for the world and the prayers for the people, prayers for the church and why we join together in those. Um, it's that we be reoriented mm-hmm. and that we deepen this practice mm-hmm. of surrender and and that we are well rehearsed in it yeah <laughs> um because those places of vulnerability and surrender and grief it's hard to go there well and mm-hmm. it's it well it's hard to go there at all um, but it's certainly hard to go there well and stay there when you need to stay there yeah um, but that's that's why we practice that's why we do this mm-hmm I found that lately my prayers are much more open-eyed than before. I even mm. will be making eye contact if I'm praying for someone. And it was early experiences of having um, conflict with friends in college. And then as we were working towards a, a resolution, praying for one another in those moments that um, gave me some really good gifts of what, what it means to be prayed for by someone and what it means to, to pray for for someone else and Mm -hmm. the incredible gift and responsibility of that. And, um, you know, as a spiritual director, as people come to me asking that I pray for them or pray with them or teach them to pray, um, gosh, I'm so honored by that request, but I'm very keenly aware at what an incredible responsibility Mm. that is. And I'm so grateful also for friends and spiritual directors and pastors who've been willing to model that for me and continue to walk that with me. Um, I've also noticed that my 
that um, the prayers of people I love are changing. Mm. Um, and so even as we were reflecting on children, small children and their prayers, I'm noticing that my parents' prayers and my parents-in-law, um, that their prayers change. And for my parents-in-law, it's even dependent on location. Um, when we're in Waco, their prayers at mealtime sound very different than when they're at um, their retirement home. Hmm. Um, and I'm not even sure that they're aware of that. And it has me, um, longing to write and record even those things. Hmm. Um, even as we begin to have children and, um, have nieces and nephews around, I think I'm excited about adding that part of it. What about the specific practices, um, that are sort of central to your prayer life, Lacey? I think... As I said, um, as I learned kind of the language of contemplation, um, of course, the practices of contemplation came with that. And uh, I feel like centering prayer it has been one for the past many years that has invited me into what it means to pray without words and um, to simply abide in God's presence and let that be enough, mm-hmm. which... Like feels really epic to me, um, because yeah. that saying also you and your showing up is enough, and that is a lesson for me to learn each day. And also with that too, um, in allowing that time of silence and that looks akin to meditation, noticing the distractions that come up, that too has been a practice to name them, to recognize them, and to release them. Lexio Divina, too, is one that, um, having grown up very much um, in the Bible, with my my face in the Bible, my nose in the Bible, um, my mind in the Bible, mm-hmm. um, being able to apply contemplative prayer practice to that um, reading of Scripture has helped marry those two two worlds as well. And we've gone through it here on the podcast about reading a short passage of scripture, um, paying attention to what stands out to you and trusting that there's a message God has in there for you for your life today. And um, prayer beads, which is a newer practice for me and something that I mentioned last time I'm making for others as well. And that's a great way to incorporate um, the prayers of others as well as the prayers of the people or scripture Um, to commit prayers to memory and to, I feel like, find a meditative type of practice as you repeat those prayers. And then finally, of course, I talk about, I don't know if, have I talked about it on our podcast, my walks in the park? Oh, I don't know. I think you briefly mentioned it um, when you were sharing what you, how you decorated your mantle for Advent, Oh, yes, but. yes. Well, <laughs> I, th- I talk about it most everywhere else. It's, so. a, big, it's a big part of so your life it and is. practice. It is. The house that we finally found, which I will say with confidence that I'm glad we didn't get the other house <laughs> um, because this is the one for us, and it's near this beautiful park that I um, take walks in most days. And that, I mean, there was something about entering that park. You come in through a ravine on a bridge, And it is filled with trees and birds that just transported me. Um, It felt like sacred ground with each with each step. And so that not only, you know, in times of silence, being times of prayer and contemplation or 
times of solitude, but communing with nature as being a place where God is revealed and God is present. And so abiding there as well has been huge for me. Mm -hmm. What about you, Jen? I, I share your desire for um, a calm and sacred mm. space to dwell and rest and be and be formed by God. But it is hard. It is mm. really hard mm-hmm. to turn off my internal dialogue. Um, some people call it monkey brain. Some people call it, um, gosh, all sorts of different phrases that we have for it but your phrase of choice whatever yeah it's hard but whatever it is it's hard Uh to turn it off and it's Mm -hmm. hard to enter a place that is an internal stillness and an internal quiet and so I have found using a labyrinth really really helpful for me um it helps me approach God with more humility some curiosity and wonder and more of an undistracted presence than I can get to Otherwise, and when you say when you say labyrinth, are you talking about walking one, or I know you also made a finger one um, in the back of the planner, and also a, a print. Both, yeah. yeah. So, um, walking with my feet, a, a prayer labyrinth um, on retreats, or you know, um, there's a, a labyrinth locator online, so you can just mm. search wherever you are, wherever you're going, and see if there's a labyrinth nearby. Um, doing that has been really helpful, but. I found that while the practice was really meaningful, that it was just really rare. Mm, um, mm-hmm. While there is a labyrinth at at least one church here in Waco, um, I you know I didn't find myself going to it very often. Um, mm. And again, as I was beginning to learn and want to engage more deeply in more contemplative practices of prayer, I wanted to get to that place beyond words and just could not, just couldn't, just couldn't do it. And, um, and so that's when I started using uh, finger labyrinths. Um, and those are just, you know, printed or carved out of wood or sometimes metal, um, that you, rather than walking with your feet, you walk with your finger and having that more part of my daily and weekly practice was so transformative for me that that's why I included it in the back cover of Mm. our planners, um, that as I have wanted to return back to center, to return back to a place of internal um, stillness and dwelling with God, um, rather than giving way at any given time to what's happening outside of me or mm. what's happening inside of my mind, um, I really wanted to share that gift with other mm-hmm. people. Um, well, and I like as you were describing that, and I have a labyrinth image. In my head, I know um, some people might not be familiar with that. And as you said, they can um, just Google. Well, careful when you Google. You don't want to get the David Bowie movie, though. It would be excellent, too. <laughs> distinct. But um, Chart, C-H-A-R-T-R-E-S. Um, in France, that's one of the typical labyrinths. So mm-hmm. as I was describing this, I just want to have make sure people have an image in their head. But you were saying... Um, it just reminded me of the the container of the of the labyrinth when you're trying to ward off distraction and all those things that come in. There's something about the safety of following the path within the labyrinth that um, that seems to set some boundaries there. Absolutely, and I think for me, it's because it gives my outside self, my physical body, something to do, mm-hmm. um, which then allows my inside self, heart, mind, spirit, to be present without having a responsibility. Mm-hmm. So labyrinths mm-hmm. look like mazes. 
Um, but they're not. They're not maze-like at all. Um, you're not going to get lost in it. You're not going to get lost. You don't have any decisions to make. No one's trying to trick you. Um, the path is singular. And and in its singularness, you know, you walk in on one path and then walk out the same path. Um, but each step draws you towards center mm-hmm. and then sets you back on, on the path out into the world, the external world. Um, and, and I find that tracing a labyrinth with my finger and, of course, my heart and mind at the same time, um, sometimes I have to do it several times before I can get to that place that's beyond words. Mm. Um, but it's, it's helpful for me um, to calm and center and um, we even have a labyrinth print that you can download the pdf for um, at gumroad.com slash sacred ordinary days and it comes with instructions on how to use um, a prayer labyrinth as a christian well and i think that's as you were saying it it might take a few times that's why it's so important to remember that the labyrinth is is a tool so it's not you go in you go out and if you didn't have that experience then you're missing something. It's a tool for you to deepen, um, deepen your presence. And so if it takes four times or if it, um, I don't know, if even on days where those distractions still enter, I think it's the intention that you come with too, um, that desire that's most valuable. Yes. A tool for practice. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know that for me, sharing some of these different practices, centering prayer, Lexio Divina, um, prayer beads, um, we talked about the even examine a labyrinth, the examine, mm-hmm. um, going back and forth between reading and learning about them and then practicing them myself and then practicing them with a community mm-hmm. and then going back, back to the reading, back to practicing it myself, that all three of those pieces is huge for me. Yeah. The learn, gather, research piece, the the piece where you actually put the tool in your hand and, and practice and use it, and then the practice where you're connecting and sharing and learning with other people. Um, gosh, that's that's huge. Yeah. And I think I think that's another reason that my other kind of favorite prayer practice right now is sharing common prayer with um, our small groups or other people in in our life. We've done prayers of sending when people leave our small group. Um, We've also done house blessings for friends um, where we prayed and walked and left notes for what we hoped might come to be in those rooms or in that doorway. And um, as, as Grant and I are dreaming about you know, another house that we might move into in Waco over the next couple of years, I think it'd even be fun to um, have a house blessing before you leave for the new people. <laughs> and, mm. um, and then once you've arrived at the new place as mm. well. Yeah. Well, shall we close with a tool that we can offer everyone? Yes. This is Psalm 4610. And it is become a style of prayer that has been sung before. Jen says they sing it in her church and also is a visual resource um, from the work of the people. You can find it there. We'll be sure to share a link there. 
and you can use it in an audio setting as well, sharing with others as I'm going to share with you today. And so if you want to just settle in where you are, as I read this psalm to you and slowly break it down piece by piece to the very center, which is where prayer leads us. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be. What were your prayers like as a child? How have they changed or grown as you have changed and grown? What prayer practices are you playing with these days? Let us know in the Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash Sacred Ordinary Days Tribe or on social media using the hashtag Sacred Ordinary Days. You'll hear from us again on Wednesday, March 9th, when we'll continue to discuss Lent, focusing specifically on the practice of almsgiving. To follow along, subscribe to the Sacred Ordinary Days podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast app. Know anyone who might enjoy looking at their prayers with a fresh set of eyes? Send them to our podcast. And don't forget to join us for the retreat. Learn more at sacredordinarydays.com and sacredjourney.net.